sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We have our military sent to the border. We have 8,000 military personnel right now at the border. Uh, we are uh, doing an amazing job considering it's really an onslaught. Apparently, this is not what Representative um, Omar said. It's what she believes. And if she believes that, she ought to just own up to it and stop pretending. I guess Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi today, couldn't decide whether Omar is an anti-Semite or if she's stupid. This is a time of testing uh, for the House of Representatives. And, and if I may, it's, a, it's really a moral test about how clearly they will speak out, in this case, against what Congresswoman Omar said, which was clearly anti-Semitic. And now, Stacey Washington. Oh, yeah. Um, we... I, I'm I'm giggling when I hear uh, you know Kellyanne Conway because she just always cuts it right down to the bare bone. She she's brass tacks only. She does not play around with. She doesn't mince words, and it's fantastic. Um, we're going to have Davis Richardson, a policy reporter from The Observer, Observer.com, um, talking about Trump's announcement for an executive order protecting free speech on college campuses. This should be pretty interesting. I got to tell you. Um, and then we are going to continue our discussion from last segment. We actually ran out of time. <laughs> so it's this audio from Donnie Deutsch. Now, you know, I actually feel sorry for him because I think he wouldn't be so extreme if he wasn't really relying on being a contributor over there at CNN. And those contributor checks are pretty st- like they're it's, it's not it's not a pittance. It's nothing to laugh at. You're not going to get a contributor contract from there and be like, ah, you know, I could I could take it or leave it. And it's really, I think, impacting the way people behave on the network because they're not just looking for you to come on and comment. If you're a contributor, they're paying you to come on and present a specific point of view. Now, that's not that unique. When you're a contributor to Fox News, if you're on the left and they give you a contributor contract, they're not paying you to come on and be pro-Trump. They're paying you to come on and present your perspective as a person who's on the left. Nothing wrong with that. But on CNN, they seem to have this tack that you can be almost anything as long as you're anti-Trump. So you can actually, like, you know, Mia Love is anti-Trump. And, and you know, we saw the exchange when she lost. She hadn't been pro-Trump, um, you know, during her campaign. And, and the president kind of made a statement like, you know, you, you didn't give me any love, and so you didn't you ain't getting no love. Um, oh, Donnie, I'm sorry. I said he was on CNN. Donnie, thank you, Devin. Donnie is actually on MSNBC, MSNBC guest Donnie Deutsch. Um, but it's the same thing over at MSNBC. You're, so if you're on Mika and Joe's program, you're not pro-Trump. If you're on Morning Joe as a regular, not only you're not pro-Trump, but you have to exhibit some Trump derangement syndrome. You have to say wild and outlandish things about him or you're not getting invited back, right? You're not getting invited back. So you have to take what he's saying with a grain of salt and you have to think about how nice those checks are. And I'm not condoning it, but I'm explaining some of what we're seeing and hearing from him because it's just, it's not the way he was. If you watch old clips of Donnie Deutsch, yeah, he would say something, you know, out, outside the pale every now and again, but it wasn't this, this, it's almost like he's stuck in a feedback loop where every so many hours he has to spit out something just crazy about President Trump. The wildest, ridiculous statements. If he doesn't spit it out, it's like it's almost like a verbal 
tick for him. Um, and it just keeps happening. So here he is. He says, who's, he, he calls Trump evil. This was like weeks ago. He said that President Trump was evil. Well, here he is. He says he would vote for him if the choice were a socialist and President Trump. He says he would vote for him. And then listen for what Joe Scarborough says to him after that. He literally makes him take it back. It's number two. I find Donald Trump reprehensible as a human being, but a socialist candidate is more dangerous to this country as far as strength and well-being of our country than Donald Trump. I would vote for Donald Trump, a despicable human being. Mm. No, you act, won't. I, I, let me tell you Stop something. Yourself. Let, it, no, let me correct this. Thank yourself. you, Joe. Thank you. You always help myself. You, you, I, you, know, I, you, you will you never know. vote I, I, for I, a bigot, I, a guy I, that's I, made bigoted correct. statements I, I for guess. the past three Joe, years. Thank you, for, thank you for correcting me. I stand corrected that. I will be so distraught to the point that that could even come out of my mouth if we have a socialist because that will take our country so down and we are not yeah. we are not Denmark I love Denmark you know that's not who we are and if you love who we are and all the great things that still have to have binders put on the side please step away from the socialism Stop. and let me correct myself yeah. I will never vote for Donald Trump thank you what he said made sense he was making an ultimatum to the Democrats, and it had teeth. If Donnie Deutsch, who is an avowed liberal and hates Donald Trump with the hate of a thousand suns, with a 1,400-degree a volcanic hate, a lava type of a hatred that burns everything in its path and sends up ash that pollutes the atmosphere for you know a decade afterwards, the kind of hatred that literally burns through human beings and puppies and, you know, uh, pretty decor. Like if he hates Donald Trump that much, but he says if the Democrats run a socialist, he's going to vote for Donald Trump. That is the dividing line with which the Democrats could say, OK, wait a minute now. You uh, you're saying to me that if we run a socialist, if we keep on down the socialist path, People like Donnie Deutsch, an MSNBC contributor, someone who he couldn't imagine himself voting for Donald Trump or a Republican if it meant it would save his life or a limb or one of his loved ones. He would actually go down that path and go pull the lever for Trump if we if, if we take that tack. The Democrats would get into one of those big war rooms, the huge conference room with like 40 seats around the table, and they'd get in there and they would argue and arm wrestle and, and, and poke each other in the eye with pencils until they got down to brass tacks and figured out how they could run a campaign that was progressive, as they say, and liberal, as they say, um, all euphemisms for heading towards communism, but whatever. They would figure out a way to do it without being socialist. They would, they would actually have to decide They'd have some consultant run the numbers. Some pollster would say, Donnie Joynch represents this kind of American. And according to our study notes and, and everything that we know about the American electorate, this many hundreds of thousands or this many million Americans are what we would call Donnie Deutsch Democrats. And so people like him, they number in this amount. And that amount is, yes, enough to sway an election or it's not enough to sway an election. Who cares? There's only 10,000 Donnie Deutsch Democrats. Who cares if he, if he votes for Trump? We ain't worried about him. But they're not, they're not, they don't have to do that if they have Joe Scarborough to come in. And remember, I, I have to make the point here because you might be listening and thinking, Joe Scarborough, he's a Democrat. No, he isn't. He's a Republican. 
Joe Scarborough was a Congress member. He was a he was a, he he was a Republican Congress member before he went on television. So dude is not exactly your typical Democrat. And listen to the way he just he literally lit Donnie Deutsch on fire. Check yourself. Correct yourself. You ain't you ain't voting for Donald Trump. He he basically told the guy what he would do. If I was Donnie Deutsch, I'd have said, I'll vote for whoever I want to, Joe. It may be your show, but it's my vote. But Donnie Deutsch doesn't have that in him. He, he, can't, he can't go hard in. He cannot defend himself because he's worried about his contract. I mean, there's something to be said about not having that problem. Sometimes, you know, you, I, I, full disclosure, sometimes I think, well, what if I had really spent some time um, you know, and, and put up with a lot of the stuff that I had to go through with, um, you know, the, the, the CNN or whatever, and gotten a contributor contract. They never last long for conservatives anyway, but what if I had been able to do, you know, pull that off? That would be some really good money. It would, but they have a bit of control over you at that point. And so sometimes it's a blessing when you don't get, like not every opportunity is a good one. And I just feel for him because he doesn't have any, he doesn't have the ability to have an opinion that disagrees with Joe Scarborough anymore. And that is a sad place to be. He's a grown man with gray hair. You know, he has his own life experiences. I don't respect his political views. I think the things that the lies that he spews about President Trump are reprehensible and he should be, you know, held to a standard for that. But it is actually sad to see a grown man on television talking about his own opinion and making a statement that actually he was he was coherent at that point. You, you, you feel me? He was coherent. He made a statement that made sense in his mind, a hardened leftist Democrat. If the Democrats dance with socialism and try to peddle it as their new ideology, he was saying that's not for me. I don't want to live in a totalitarian state where fascism is the norm, where I can't express myself or I can't disagree with him. He wanted to make a point and he was shut down. He wasn't permitted to make it because Joe Scarborough is not going to let this guy have his own opinion. It's pretty amazing. Check yourself. Correct yourself. Correct yourself, Donnie. In other words, I'm not going to let you say that here on my show. And, you know. And there's something to be said about controlling what you're going to let um, people say. But um, he was just expressing his opinion. He didn't say no one should vote for the Democrats if they go to socialism. He said he wouldn't. Anyway, um, so then back to this Omar stuff. Newt Gingrich. <laughs> he says Nancy Pelosi is losing that she is losing control of the Democrats. Now, didn't Stephen Solomon say that yesterday? Um, and I, I, I've been one like earlier this week on another program that I go on regularly to provide commentary. I said that Nancy Pelosi was that, was that person that she was going to get the Democrats, the new freshman, she's going to get them under control, but it's kind of looking like she's not getting them under control because she has said before, there's no room for anti-Semitism on the Democrat side, but now they issued this resolution. It didn't even denounce, uh, Oh, Omar, not at all. It didn't even denounce her at all. So here it is. Number four. Uh, there's a deep anti-Semitic, anti-Israeli bias on the left. Uh, there are a lot of people on the left 
who would be very happy if Israel disappeared tomorrow uh, and who feel 100% on the side of Hamas, even while it's firing rockets at Israeli cities. Uh, so I think what we've seen is over the last 30 years, a growth in the anti-Semitic behavior on college campuses and a growing willingness uh, by some Democratic politicians to be very openly anti-Semitic and anti-Israel. And I think the second thing is that a lot of the younger militant members, whether they're anti-Israel or not, they are deeply opposed to Nancy Pelosi trying to exercise any discipline well, at all. Not. Look, she is losing control of the House. Uh, they may be forced in a desperation move to change the House rules, to block Republicans from offering anything, uh, which would, I think, lead to chaos. But she, she can't get her party to stay together. And if, if you're in a moderate district, if you're in a district that Trump carried, uh, or if you're in a district that's heavily Jewish, and you're watching the Democrats go crazy, and you are a Democratic freshman running for re-election, this has to be a really decisive moment. All right. Who do you Let stay with? Well, I mean, you would want to stay with... the. Who do you go to is what probably more accurate. Who do you go to if you're Jewish and you see your party straying into anti-Semitism and, and permitting it and even promoting the people who are, are you know putting it out there? You have to be willing to say, I'm going where people don't believe that I have dual allegiances and some of the worst things, things that when they're permitted to be said and they, they're let to stand, it encourages more anti-Semitism. Just to, just to give you a perspective on who appreciates what Omar has said, do you remember when David Duke had said something positive in the media about President Trump? It was back when he was a candidate. And that's when they started pounding the, the, the racism drum. President Trump has to be a racist because David Duke likes him. And so President, this was candidate Trump. He was saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm not denouncing anybody. Um, I don't even know what he said, but I'm not denouncing anybody. I've already denounced racism. I'm not a racist. And people just were losing their minds. Well, David Duke said he thinks that Omar should be promoted to leadership because she's anti-Semitic. So now what? Now, what can people say now? Omar is supported by David Duke. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. When we get back, we'll have Davis Richardson from The Observer. Stay right there. Are you still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 345. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You know, not only is the U.S. government in debt, but many of its citizens are in significant debt as well. Economists announced that credit card debt for Americans have now reached a new height of $1 trillion. Matt Schultz is senior industry analyst at creditcards.com. He says this record should serve as a wake-up call to Americans to focus on their credit card debt. He adds, even if you feel your debt is manageable right now, know that you could be one unexpected emergency away from real trouble. While I'm talking about credit card debt, let me also talk about other debts that Americans currently hold. The New York Federal Reserve recently released a report that estimated that the collective U.S. household debt is at about $12 trillion. Once again, this is a record and surpasses the previous amount back in the 2008 recession. The report also provides some context to American debt. Housing-related debt is down about $1 trillion since the 2008 peak. However, auto loan balances are $367 billion higher, and student loans are $671 billion higher. You know, in the past, we've talked about the growing problem of student loan debt, so let me focus a moment on auto loan debt. Americans struggle with this form of debt, especially because they are often using higher interest rates. Millions of these loans are in delinquency, and many people report taking out a loan with a repayment period longer than the time they plan to own the vehicle. In my book, Making the Most of Your Money in Tough Times, I talk about the dangers of debt. Proverbs 22.7 says the rich rule over the poor, and a borrower is a servant to the lender. So many Americans are enslaved by debt. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show. Um, we're going to be speaking with Davis Richardson. He's a policy reporter for The Observer. Davis, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Stacey. Okay, so let's talk about this. This is an executive order protecting free speech on college campuses, and it's something that President Trump announced while he was speaking at CPAC in his uh, kind of extended speech that he did there. <laughs> um, so tell us what's going on here. Sure. So when Trump was speaking at CPAC, that's the Conservative Political Action Conference uh, last week, he said a lot of very newsworthy things in that address. He used some profanity sometimes, and um, there were a lot of like policy news that came out of that. But one of one piece that has uh, alarmed a little bit of academia is that Trump said that he wants to declare um, an executive order uh, protecting free speech on college campuses. Now, details of this aren't really known on what shape and form uh, that would necessarily look like. Um, but when he uh, gave this announcement at CPAC, he brought up uh, Hayden Williams, who was a conservative activist who was assaulted at UC Berkeley's campus. And uh, he brought him up, and the audience was a big fan of this, although um, a lot in academia are kind of, like, wondering now, like, what shape and form uh, this executive order is going to take if he does, in fact, go through with it. Mm. So I, I kind of 
I wonder as well, because I think what what most Americans are looking for is for college campuses to offer the same accommodations to speakers, no matter what their their uh, political leanings and let the students decide whether or not they want to go to an event. If, if no one shows up, then a speaker knows their, their views aren't welcome there. But if an organization of students wants to bring in a speaker, whether it's, you know, a hardcore progressive Democrat or, you know, Ann Coulter, you know, either or, if the students are bringing that person in, it sh- it's not up to other students to say that person can't speak in a room at this campus. And that's what we've seen over and over and over again. If the universities would simply police this themselves, it wouldn't be such an issue. But clearly, people are getting sucker punched. There have been billions of dollars in property damage at uh, colleges in the UC, um, University of California, you know, their their campuses. And, and across the country, we've seen armed security, armed guards, and lots of really, like, it's not American to say, you can't speak anywhere near me. That's anti-free speech. Yes, it is. What, what I will also say is a, a lot of professors, both liberal and conservative, that I've spoken to about this, they do acknowledge that there is a problem that happens to a lot of conservative speakers on college campuses. Now, what's interesting about uh, the president's announcement of an executive order is that he didn't really touch on what currently happens to a lot of conservative students and faculty. The example that he gave in citing the UC Berkeley case, it was actually uh, a 28-year-old who was not affiliated with the university as well as the attacker, who was also not affiliated with the university. So I think that a lot of conservative students and speakers who've been uh, affected by a genuine problem that is happening on college campuses, they're wondering what form this is also that this is going to take. But they're also like wondering, well, why didn't he address that in there? Why is this framed more so around conservative activism on campus rather than the invitation of speakers? Well, I think um, that's a good question. I, I'm, I tend to think that the reason why he's framing it that way is because he has such a close relationship with Charlie Kirk. And there have been so many incidents surrounding Charlie Kirk and Turning Point USA uh, chapters bringing in speakers and also Young Americans for Freedom. Um, you know, I can think of a, the college Republicans. A lot of groups that have invited conservative speakers in have seen the backlash when liberals have been permitted to come on campus and speak, and there hasn't been a corresponding backlash from conservative students. So it may be that just the prevalence and occurrence of the outbreaks of violence and the incidents seem to be brought about by an announcement that a conservative is coming to speak and there is not a corresponding action on the the right side of the spectrum in response to liberal speakers coming onto campus. Sure. And again, it's about what form this ultimately takes, right? So a lot of people have said, well, if this executive order uh, is declared and Trump does go forward with making this type of policy, are we going to see uh, a government committee that is set up? that is ultimately looking to police uh, free speech on college campuses? Or is it going to be what Dinesh D'Souza said on uh, Fox News last night, which is sending in National Guard troops like whenever like these types of incidences happen? So I think right now like people really need clarity on what's going on, and everyone sort of has their own agenda that they're trying to push with this. Um, but certainly some clarity from the White House and Betsy DeVos would certainly be beneficial, I think. 
Yeah, I well, I agree with you on the clarity, Davis. And I, I also think um, the spectacle of having to have National Guard troops coming in, that harkens the memory banks back to, you know, integration for schools where they had to have National Guard troops for, you know, little kids to walk into school um, to basically integrate the school with just being there, necessitated troops being there. Um, and that's a kind of frightening thing to think that in 2019, Americans are so intolerant of views they don't agree with that National Guard troops have to be sent in to ensure the safety of individuals who are trying to just go in and speak. There was actually a news story uh, about in one single Antifa protester with a bell who went into a college uh, speaking event for a guy. Uh, he's not famous at all. Um, I'm going to pull the story up here. I just thought of it while we were talking. There's he's ringing the bell and standing in front of the um, the the projector, so they can't put on the speech. And he just keeps ringing the bell and keeps standing there. He's he says he's a member of Antifa, and it's a conservative event at Portland State University. The police officers, the, the campus police officers stood there and they said, we can't do anything to him unless he damages property or injures someone. And they allowed him to obstruct the speech for an hour. And at the hour, one hour point, everyone just got up and left because they knew they weren't going to be able to hear the guy talk. And the speaker was a man who I'm just looking here to see what, what it was journalist and Andy no, no um, who was assaulted by an Antifa mob in Portland attended the event in Portland State on Tuesday, and he tweeted out a series of video clips about the bell-ringing protester, and Michael Strickland was the speaker to discuss being sentenced to 40, jail, 40 days in jail and banned from carrying a gun after he brandished it. He had a concealed carry permit when masked left-wing protesters kind of surrounded him and you know were yelling at him, and so he brandished his gun to, to get out of there, and they, they took his gun permit um, and said he can't, he can't carry a gun anymore. Yeah, I mean, an Antifa protester like that, I mean, I don't, I don't think that anyone on the left or the right should be agreeing uh, with uh, the type of behavior that that person is engaging in, especially with obstructing uh, students who are trying to spread ideas of the like. But, I mean, I, I do question whether or not sending in, like, the National Guard as a, as a response to that is necessarily appropriate, you know, and... A lot of conservative professors who I've spoken to about this, while they appreciate the president's uh, sentiment toward a free speech, it's also against their own principles as conservatives because they do worry that it would be more so the federal government coming in and looking to regulate different types of speech on campus and not leaving it to educators who have made this type of thing their entire work. So, I mean, I think that there definitely needs to be a change of policy in a lot of these universities and colleges, and maybe a framework on how to best going about so, like, speakers are able to come in without getting threatened, as we saw with the case of uh, Middlebury and Charles Murray, and without also, like, having to resort to something like the federal government coming in and overhaul uh, these universities. No, I agree with you. I think uh, you you just summed it up pretty perfectly, because in my mind, so obviously I'm, I support the president, but I, I don't think... So uh, the president is not your traditional Republican where, you know, he's kind of steeped in the Constitution and limited government. He's more of a fixer, problem solver type person. So he sees a problem going on and he wants to fix it. And his current role is that of someone who's in the government. So that would be the avenue by which it would be fixed. 
But I don't like the government having say over colleges that these are private institutions. They're not government schools. And they're supposed to be upholding the standards that make our nation great on their own. And so I, I just wonder if there isn't some other way to accomplish kind of reacclimating everything back to the free speech paradigm without having, as you said, National Guard troops or, you know, some kind of government edict. I would prefer to see it happen from where it where it's actually happening. You know, donors maybe, um, alumni coming in and saying, look, we're not going to write any more checks, but that's not working. A lot of donors have already said we're not going to write any more checks and the, the schools are just like, yeah, but we're still going to do this because we can't have fascists or racists or whatever speaking on campus, of which the conservative speakers are not fascists, they're not racists, but that's what's being said. Right. Um, yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, but what I, what I will say is that a number of private um, organizations. I mean, I still think that it's still too early to tell with this. You know, like the uptick in violence against speakers has been relatively recent. I also don't think that it's necessarily uh, reserved only to conservative speakers. There have been cases of uh, liberal professors also being targeted as well. Um, but what I will say is that any time that you do an executive order of this nature, it makes the policy um, and realm uh, a little bit less stable. You know, I mean, there are private organizations like the Heterodox Academy, which do a really good job at advocating for free speech and making sure that all ideas get to be spread. And if you introduce something like an executive order in there, it's an unstable way of governing. You know, that was how the Obama administration tackled immigration. And as a result, it's this policy realm, which is now completely volatile, that's still being governed by executive order. And when you introduce that to a subject of, like, education, we could see something similar happening in aggravating a crisis that may not have even existed to the extent that it ends up does. So I I agree uh, with the, the statement that you're making about the the change that governing by executive order made. President Obama actually opened kind of a Pandora's box in that arena, and now it's going to be really hard to get that shut. Like it, it's now the cat's out of the bag. And even though the changes he made were temporary, now legal challenges are making those changes much more permanent and, and they're unconstitutional. So I, I was against it then. I don't like Congress leaving governing up to the executive. The legislative branch is supposed to create the laws, not the executive through executive orders. Um, but I also, I, you said that there were liberals who'd been attacked by conservatives on campus. Do, do you have any specific stories to support that assertion? Because I haven't seen any yeah, news so stories about that. Yes, there was a recently on a first-person uh, account that had been written by um, a left-leaning professor where that had happened to. And send you the exact link. But when, uh, when I he, it was an when he, that was written. He was well speaking? As, I mean, these, hey, I'm, these conservative I'm, institutions like Turning Point USA, I mean, a lot of them are also like putting together like campus watch list professors, which in a way kind of does seem to embody kind of this McCarthyite, um, I don't want to use the word discrimination, but like means of targeting that they're also accusing the right of doing. So, I mean, I think that it goes both ways a little bit. Um, so I'm unaware of the list, but if uh, for Turning Point, you're saying Turning Point making lists of professors who are... Uh, crushing free speech of students or because I'm uh, the only re- the only reason I, I would have I'm, I'm a little I'm a little iffy on that uh, Davis because the Southern Poverty Law Center creates lists too they have the Southern Poverty Law Center actually has 
the organization that runs this syndication outfit, American Family Association, as a hate group. So I work for AFA. So I'm I'm basically I work for a hate organization. I I happen to be black. I know you can't tell by listening to me on this interview, but I'm not a member of a hate organization. AFA is not a hate organization. So when I hear people who are coming from a leftist perspective, and I'm not accusing you of that, but when I hear people who say I'm wary of lists or Turning Point has a list, and then but they're they're okay with the Southern Poverty Law Center having a list, a list that, by the way, got someone shot at Family Resource Center, which is also not a hate group. Um, but a guy went in and shot that place up because the Southern Property Law Center said it was a hate group. I think either we don't want any lists or lists are fine. I'm, I'm either or. I can't be in the middle on that one. Um, and I honestly, we're going to have some whack jobs present at, at any juncture. But I think the instances of people who are activists on the left crushing free speech of conservative speakers, attacking and destroying billions of dollars in property, um, burning police cars, that kind of stuff. That is something that is really, it's, it's situated on the left side of the political spectrum. And that has been documented over and over and over again. And I have no problem if it's someone on the right's doing it, you know, send them to the gallows, just like everybody else, you know, prison time, whatever, prosecute them. But this is a problem that the left is having. And I don't see enough people speaking out about the fact that it really is coming from people who claim to be progressives, liberals, Democrats. Right. Well, I'd love to see more of that. I'd love to see people who have credibility like yourself calling out leftists about this kind of, it's a sustained spate of violence that we've kind of seen rise up through Occupy Wall Street and it's just not going away. Right. And as I said uh, a little bit ago, I mean, conservative professors that I've spoken to who have personally been affected by this, you know, one of the professors, he was actually one of mine from college, mm-hmm. uh, his name's Sam Abrams, and his office was vandalized after he published a relatively tame op-ed in the New York Times saying that there's a left-leaning bias among campus administrators. And his office was vandalized, and there was all this internal pressure within the school to get him to resign for that. I mean, someone who's been personally affected by this kind of uh, leftist agitation, even they're coming out and saying, well, we do have a problem on campuses right now with this kind of culture that's been created that's maybe not necessarily being addressed the best way it can be as a college or university. At the same time, very skeptical to the idea of the federal government coming in and mm. seeking to either create a committee or send in national troops. You know, I'm just no, not I sure agree, the Davis. They're, they're right. And I don't think it's the right way to go about it. I'd love to see a lo- solution there. Thank you so much for your piece and for coming on the show today, Davis Richardson. We'll be back with more right after this. We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith, Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The internet, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family, And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness. 
And may he give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Uh, Holy Spirit speaks to everybody. The problem is most folks don't listen. Lonnie Poindexter. If they do listen, they don't take it to heart or they get fearful or whatever. But when you listen and act upon it, wonderful things happen. And because a man of God heard the voice of God and acted upon it, it blesses me today and you as well for listening in. Lion Chasers, weekday mornings at 10 Central on Urban Family Talk. Hi, I'm Hank Weinblum with your word of the week. The ultimate insult is not a four-letter word, it's a three-letter word. I have been smeared as a rat by the President of the United States. It's an epithet Michael Cohen has become familiar with. I know it's got to be painful being called a rat. Sympathy from committee chairman Elijah Cummings. That's one of the worst things you can call them because when they go to prison, that means a snitch. It's a bit of nastiness made famous by James Cagney. Come out and take it, you dirty yellow-bellied rat, or I'll give it to you through the door. Although he never said, you dirty rat, his impersonator sure did. Mm, you dirty rat. I'm gonna get you, you dirty rat. Rats are not among the most beloved of animals, blamed for the spread of plague and other disease. The little rodents are not welcome in most neighborhoods. Research scientists, though, are fond of lab rats, good for experiments. In suburbia, you can be a mall rat. If you don't throw things out, you're a pack rat. Or the rat pack, if you're Frank, Dean, or Sammy. Getting out of this rat race with your word of the week, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Yes, well, that, that's one of the fallacies that I, I uh, show uh, up in, in, in my book. That if you look at the uh, average uh, credit score of people of different ethnic backgrounds, you'll discover that the, uh, the, the order in which they, they rank by credit score is also the order in which they rank by acceptance for the highest uh, quality uh, mortgages. Now, <laughs> that is whites, for example, uh, are turned down far more than Asian Americans. So that's Thomas Sowell. You know, he has a new book out. It's actually, I found out it's a release of his, of a previous work. It's a, a you know, updated edition of uh, Race and Disparities, I think is the title. I have it. I'm, I'm about 40% of the way through it. So I was trying to get the book club chicks to have it as one of our book club books. But word got out because me and one of the other book club moms were good friends. We were reading it. We actually bumped into each other in the airport in Dallas. <laughs> Ended up sitting right behind each other because we were flying on Southwest. You can pick your own seat. She was flying with her husband and her daughter. And I was coming back from a work trip. So I was by myself. And I pulled the book out, the Thomas Sowell book. It has a black cover. I pull it out and I you know, sit on my lap and then start sticking my stuff under the seat in front of me. And I just noticed between the seat, because she was sitting right in front of me, that she had the same book, like, you know, kind of balancing it on her armrest while she pushed her stuff under the seat. And I was like, um, you know, I don't want to say her name on the radio, but I was like, hey, you, you, are you reading this? And she was like, I am. I was like, I was hoping we'd do this for book club next month. And she was like, 
it's a tough read. Are you, how far are you? And so we compared what pages we were on. And I was like, I've been working my way through it. Because first of all, Thomas Sowell's one of the smartest people on this planet. He's probably the smartest man in America. And that's saying something because I've met some pretty smart people. I've met Art Laffer. Um, I mean, I'm not even going to go down the list of smart people I've met. I've met some amazingly intelligent people. And I've never met Thomas Sowell, but he is brilliant. And that's not my opinion. That is like the widely accepted opinion of, you know, he's 88 years old and he's still out there. Uh, this was an interview he did on Fox News. He was on Varney and Company, uh, Fox Fox Business. And so, you know, when I when I hear him talk about the book, of course, I have it on. I have a little stack of books on my nightstand and I, I'm going to go back and get it out and keep slogging through it. It's not the easiest read. Like some of his books that have been tough reads have been easier for me to work my way through than this one. Um, but I really need to be committed on getting that done, like give myself a, a due date and finish it because it's one of his books that I think is really important for us to read because you heard him give those statistics about how how many Americans are of, of certain races are older in their median age, meaning half are younger, half are lower, meaning you don't see very many Asians in the football world or in the basketball world. You, you, you see some, but not, not nearly representative of their percentage of the population. He also says that, you know, in that clip that you don't have the same kind of academic results out of the same household. So you have the same two people married to each other, have three biological children or five or two, and the children have really widely varied um, academic results. This is something that we all know this, like no one would argue with that, right? But we still have millions of Americans who feel that because this group of people statistically doesn't measure up to that group of people, that there must be something inherently unequal in our society when it's really personal choice. You see it all the time. You, you might have two or three kids. You might, let's say you have two, two kids from the same family, and they're raised in a household where there wasn't a material change in uh, socioeconomic status or you know neighborhood or anything like that, same school. So the, the two children or siblings, they're close in age and they went to the same same educational institutions and had the same exposure to everything, museums, art, um, whatever, travel. They were taken out of the country, taken uh, you know to the beach, taken all the, all the traditional places that you're like, I need to take my kids, get them well-rounded. One kid excels and is a straight A student and then takes college courses and has, you know, over a four point GPA. And the other one chooses to kind of be a little more laid back in their approach and has, you know, a good GPA, but not nearly the same. Those two kids are not going to have the same college options. The college is not going to offer the second kid the same thing that they offered the first kid. Um, not because they hate the second kid or anything. They're just going by the GPA and the test scores, right? Um, so can you say that there must have been something inherently unequal in the treatment of those two children in the household? Or would you say that the two kids made different choices? One chose to obsess over their grades and study extra hard and spend more time making sure that the grade would be an A and only earned one B their entire college career or maybe you know two or whatever. Just they didn't earn many because they had it over 4.0. And the other kid made a few more B's, you know, maybe even had a C occasionally and was more laid back in their approach. They studied smart, but didn't apply the same level of rigor. Is it the parents in this equation that are somehow wrong? Was the child done wrong in some way? Was there some kind of inherent bias towards the older child?
Or is it that individuals, as we are created to do, God has given us an absolute decision-making authority? If we want to destroy our lives, God does not stop you from doing that. Now, you can pray that the Lord would guide you and keep you from straying. And, you know, you can pray that the Lord would, would be present in your decisions and he'll answer. But if you're just running around willy-nilly and you're making horrible decisions and that's your thing and you wake up one day and you're like, my life's a mess or I don't have the result that I wanted. I wonder whose fault this is. It's yours. It's your fault. And that's the hardest thing for any of us to accept. And I think that's what we're seeing on the left. It's not just this romantic inclination they have towards utopianism. They just, they don't just enjoy it. They fantasize over it. They salivate over it. They, they wish for it. They dream for it. They meet about it. They talk about it over coffee. They just want everyone in America to have the exact same thing. Knowing good and well that there are millions of people in America like me who, if you said everybody line up and everybody gets the same 5,000 square foot house, two late model luxury cars, everybody gets the same, you know, number of cowgirl boots and, you know, whatever. All the, so basically a luxury lifestyle, everybody gets the exact same private plane and a helicopter, line up, everybody gets it. There would be millions of Americans who would stand back and be like, no, I don't want to get in line and have you give me all that stuff. There'd be another millions of Americans who would get in line, get the free stuff and then fix it, adjust it, sell it. They'd get rid of it because they don't want the same thing that everybody else has. And most people, if they're being honest, don't want the exact same thing that you have. You know what they really want? They want something better. (laughs) We're just going to be real here. We're just going to tell the truth and just not play around with each other. They want something better. They want their own thing. They want their own specific thing that's their own, not yours. And they want to be better than yours. Now, there's a lot of people who they don't care what you have. They just want what they've been planning on. They want that thing that they've been dreaming about. It doesn't look anything like yours. It doesn't look anything like theirs. It just looks like what they've made up in their mind, and that's what they're working for. So every single person is different. Even identical twins are not identical in their, you know, their mind. So they may look identical on the outside. But on the inside, they are completely different people, unique and not able to be replicated. So as often as we'll see a star who looks back, this one star is a complete and utter lookalike, like a carbon copy of another person. Or you'll see someone who, like they have these Meghan Markle lookalikes and they go around and their job is to take pictures at events. And people will pay like $10 to take a picture with this Meghan Markle and Prince Harry lookalike. And when you look at them, they do look a lot like the people that they, they mimic. And this is all over the place. They're, they have lookalikes for almost every star. And they have lookalikes for, like, I've had people tell me that they've seen someone and they just knew it was me. And they walked up to that person and they said, hello. And I'm like, you, so you saw a six-foot-tall black woman, six-foot-two inches tall with sister locks that looked like me. And you walked up to her and said hello. And then you were shocked that it wasn't her. Are your eyes working? I'm sure you didn't see anybody who's my height with, you know, looks like me and the same hair. Like, that is... Hard to believe. But I've had people tell me that. And so I'm not saying that we can't find anybody who looks alike, but you'll never find the same two people, the same two actual 
living, breathing people who have the same exact ideas and have never, ever diverged in thought or opinion or wants or desires or anything. You're just not going to find that. God doesn't make copies. He just makes unique, specific creation. So if that's true, and we know it's true, okay, miss me with this discussion about how that's not true. That is true. There are no two same people that have ever been identical. There never have been, never will be. Even the twins aren't the same. So that's true, which means that you're never going to have identical results. So while you'll have two people who are economists who went to Harvard who achieved similar results, you'll never go to those two people and say, you know, do you want this? Do you want that? And take them down a list of 100 questions of things that they want and they're identical just because they're both economists and maybe they're both men and both, they both graduated from Harvard. So we're never going to have equal outcomes. The results will never be equal. We will have lots of people succeed. And what I've noticed as the, the older I get is I notice that people who are successful group themselves in, together in communities in which they can replicate that success for their children. And so they tend to group around things that they have in common, like socioeconomics, religion, um, you know, the, so they're intentionally moving into neighborhoods where the people in the neighborhood have similar socioeconomic backgrounds, similar educational backgrounds, and similar family structures. Because you don't have to explain to your kid why that kid has a dad and four moms. You don't have to deal with that if you're living in a neighborhood that is similar in makeup to your own. So people seek those environments out. And then they seek out educational options for their kids that reinforce the values they're trying to put into the kids at home. And if they realize that the area that they're in doesn't suit what they believe, doesn't have the same thing going on for the, the, the kids that they're looking for, they move the kid out of that educational environment into a private institution or they move to a different neighborhood. Again, seeking a certain outcome which completely obliterates the utopian ideals put forward by the Democrats. Not only do people not want the same things, they won't accept the same things. For every person you find who would accept a universal income, you'll find a hundred who would spit on that and never come pick it up. They don't want it. They don't want to be given anything. And that's why the Democrats are selling a whole spate of options that are Loserville, bullet train to Loserville. Let's go to the phones. Ron in Tennessee. Hey, thank you uh, for coming on the show today. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, wonderful. Now, I just want to commend you for your job to really stay on the radio, giving us the information that we receive each day. Thank you uh, for listening. We truly appreciate the, uh, the, the information you give and make us be able to think better and make Good decision when it comes to certain things, even when it comes to politics. So, awesome. I commend you for your job. Well, thank you, Ron. Thank you for calling and for sharing that. It's nice uh, to hear a word of encouragement on a Friday. Um, I, I, I have to say it's my pleasure to be here and do that. Um, it's my pleasure to get a chance to just interact with everybody here. Um, I, I want to I close the show out. We're getting into the last couple of minutes. Um, the American Defense League CEO, Jonathan Greenblatt, had a comment about Omar that I felt like was super important. I wanted you to hear it. Um, he says, Ilhan Omar's dual loyalty accusation is anti-Semitic and un-American. 
This guy can hardly be considered a conservative. He has written an op-ed about this, and he also has made this comment publicly. And I want to go out on the weekend just saying this, that, that first of all, the Bible is very clear. If you bless Israel, you will be blessed. If you curse her, you will be cursed. So anyone who practices anti-Semitism is playing with their own eternity. That being said, if you're for infanticide and you think that, you know, siding with the drug lords over our uh, immigration and customs officials is a good thing, then you're probably not going to have a problem with anti-Semitism. You see how that works? Um, so here he is. Uh, his name's Jonathan Greenblatt. He's Jewish. And he has this message for uh, Omar. It's number five. Well, look, it's hard for me to say what's in Representative Omar's heart, but I have to deal with the reality of what she said again and again and again. And the fact of the matter is this accusation that Jews have a dual loyalty or require people to pledge allegiance to a foreign power. It is an anti-Semitic charge that has been used against the Jewish people literally for hundreds of years, long before there was a state of Israel. So we are offended by this anti-Semitism that is not only directed at the Jewish people, it is an un-American thing to say because accusations of loyalty to a foreign power that was used against Japanese Americans in World War II. It was used against Catholics when John F. Kennedy was running for president in 1960. It doesn't deserve a place in the public conversation, period. It doesn't. And I would have the same kind of furor if it was someone talking about blacks. I would have the same furor. I, I get really ticked off when I hear people say, all white people have white privilege or all white people are somehow guilty of the sins of slavery even the ones who are alive today who never had anything to do with it or immigrants who've been here since that happened. I get upset about all of it. None of it has a place here in our discourse. We have to be clear about that. God bless you. Have a fantastic weekend. And thanks for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. <laughs>